Have you seen this? Have you got a load of this <laughs> yeah. recently? Tell me, have you seen these headlines? <laughs> you seen this? Have you heard about this? <laughs> no, because like I was on Twitter earlier and the National Nurses United was tweeting out about the fact that there are now a lot of companies that are using trap clauses, like the ones that we talked about with PetSmart. Mm-hmm. The clauses where they're like, oh, you got training from us so you can't leave or you'll have to pay us for it. And now places are doing that in healthcare, like mm-hmm. to nurses and stuff. And I'm like, oh, cool. Indentured servitude's coming back everywhere. <laughs> Capitalism's just playing all the hits from the fucking like 17th, 18th, 19th century. We got, we got like giant companies turning into like neo-feudal, rent extraction exercises like to replace small landlords with just you know bill gates sized swaths where an entire area is owned by like blackrock or some other company and you have like all these other industries bringing back indentured indentured servitude Mm -hmm. it's like well all right so when are we going to see like a resurgence in like i don't know the bubonic plague <laughs> like yeah. to go along with all the other timely things. Well, it's like um, I, you you started seeing this, or at least I started seeing this a few years ago, and it was mostly articles about like this company paid me a ten thousand dollar bonus to relocate to California, and then uh, they fired me two years later and demanded the entire bonus back in full, and then it started yeah. becoming like this company gave me student loan relief or gave me like college, like education compensation. And then that was the kind of thing where like, if you got fired or if you got a new job, they would try and hold you accountable for the entire bill because, you know, a gift is never really a gift in the corporate world. And now it's like, they're kind of, they're, they're trying to take it all the way to your paycheck where it's like, Oh, if you quit, you just have to pay me back all the wages I paid you the whole time you worked here. Like that's where, where does it end? That seems like the logical conclusion of this insane logic. Yeah. That that's fucking terrible. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Just the, it does the, the college thing is real though. There's a lot of, if you don't graduate while you're working here, you actually still owe all of those loans. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's been generally how I've assumed the U.S. state would go about addressing the student loan crisis, because, like, we're not actually going to cancel all of it. Like, Biden's made that pretty clear. But this idea of, yeah, well, it's like anybody who goes to college who has to take out a loan will just become like a neo, it, essentially this form of apprenticeship that you have to pay for. <laughs> yeah. Like where you you have to then go work for whatever company ends up agreeing to pay off your loans, but you have to work there for 10 years or whatever, and you can't leave, and they never give you a raise. And if you join a union, you get fired, and then they then you you get all that the loans back piled on you. And that's gonna become like I feel like the only way that that's gonna be like the new barrier to entry to the quote unquote middle class. Mm-hmm. Well, it's 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 like company town shit. It's just that mm-hmm. the company town doesn't have to exist in a geographical location anymore. Right. It can just be the way that like the employer you're essentially financially bonded to now handles your finances and handles, you know, your situation because they have like 
these large companies, especially, they hire experts who formerly worked for social media companies, formerly worked for casinos, formerly worked for anything where they need to know how to maximize engagement and distraction and, uh, you know, minimize the amount of value that they actually give you, the person who's trying to live their life out here in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. Well, speaking of yeah, absolutely. Your yeah, absolutely number one favorite labor podcast. Uh, my name is John. I'm Dan. And I'm Lena. And we are an entirely listener-supported show, so thank you so much for any support you're giving us on Patreon. We really appreciate it, and it goes a terrifically long way. If you're not in the Discord yet, go ahead and hop in there. It's completely free and a lot of fun. If you are a patron and you don't have stickers yet, just message us on Patreon, and we will get them to you in a somewhat timely manner. If you want to help the show a little bit more, you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you think it will help. You could even sneak into our own show notes and leave the review for us directly in there <laughs> I, I mean please don't do that because i would become like even more paranoid than i already am <laughs> yeah yeah leave a note that says you're not an nsa agent to, to <laughs> yeah, ease dan's troubled mind it. yeah <laughs> oh man uh well i think for this week uh you know considering the time we're recording it there was really nothing else we could start with then the new news that literally just dropped like a couple of hours ago. We're recording this on on Monday, October tenth. Uh, also, by the way, Happy Indigenous Peoples Day and mm-hmm. fuck Christopher Columbus. Fuck him. That's right. But yeah, so the big news that just dropped like literally just a couple of hours ago is that the results of the voting for on the tentative agreement for the Brotherhood of Maintenance of, of Way employees, which is the third largest rail union in the country, came back. They were like. You know, because we laid out the long process. There's like all the different TAs, and they're all lined up now to go over the next couple months. But the BMWE, we pointed out, you know, this is the third biggest one. It was going to be a big consequential vote, and so the numbers came the in. Consequences and with a, have happened. <laughs> yeah, obviously, the fact that we are setting this up as the first story kind of tells you where the vote went. But like, uh, so they, the BMWE, had a record turnout for the workers who came out to vote on this and by a vote of 57% against and 43% for the workers have rejected the tentative agreement and have have set up the path once again for a near-term national rail strike. That's so cool. Way to fucking go, Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way employees. I mean, this is really, really big. And I know that it came down to like 57 to 43 isn't like insanely close, but that is a relatively close margin for something to fail by. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it sets them up to strike as soon as November 19th. And Mm -hmm. we have 
a quote here from the president of the Brotherhood of Maintenance Away Employees, uh, Tony D. Cardwell, who said, Railroaders are discouraged and upset with working conditions and compensation and hold their employer in low regard. Railroaders do not feel valued. They resist the fact that management holds no regard for their quality of life, illustrated by their stubborn reluctance to provide a higher quality of paid time off, especially for sickness. And I mean, I think we all agree with these workers that we also hold their employer in low regard. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, Those are almost charitable words, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the the diplomatic uh, experience of somebody who's gotten to be, you know, a, uni- a union president. Mm-hmm. I hope that this email finds you well. See attached <laughs> photo of my middle finger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this is huge news. I mean, this is immediately puts a nationwide rail strike back on the table. Uh, the, the rejection of this tentative agreement sets up one more 30-day status quo period, during which the union will go back to the rail companies and try and get a better deal. Of course, as we have seen throughout this whole years-long process, it seems extremely unlikely the rail companies will agree to a better deal. Uh, so this is setting up for a showdown. Uh, five days after Congress reconvenes following the elections on November 14th. Therefore, uh, November 19th is now the big day to watch on the potential rail strike calendar uh, because that is the day at which the BMW employees, now that they've rejected their TA, if if their bargaining team does not sign a new TA before then, then they could actually launch a nationwide rail strike. And since the BMW is the third largest union, this is not one of those cases where you could, it's, like, it's, not, it's not like a union of 100 workers. Mm-hmm. Where like if they go on strike, the rest of the system can function. If BMW employees are not there, the nationwide freight system can't run. So like even if they're the only union to reject the agreement, if they vote to go on strike, it will launch a nationwide rail strike. But one other thing, though, I think is, it's important to take away from this vote is that now that one major union has rejected these TAs, I think that takes a lot of pressure off the workers in Mm -hmm. the BLET and the Smart TD who might have been on the fence feeling like, well, look, I don't like this TA. I think it fucking sucks. But like the the folks are telling us that Congress is going to force us to do this, and so if we vote against it, we're not going to get anything better anyway, and we don't want to be the only unions who do that and have some shitty terms imposed on us by the state. But now, now that another major union has voted against it, I think there's a decent chance that there's a lot of people in both those unions who might have been considering either supporting it or or just not voting, Mm -hmm. who will now feel more empowered to actually come in and say, no, you know what? Fuck this tentative agreement. I don't want to have, you know, the same situation I have now, but with three unpaid sick days, I have to schedule a month in advance. So, yeah. Well, and it also uh, fortunately puts uh, a lot of pressure back onto uh, politicians like Joe Biden and the rest of the Democrats primarily who've been going around doing their George W. Bush mission accomplished routine uh, yeah. ever since this T.A. came down the pipeline. I think Absolutely. that the the thing, though, is since they're going to get still get massacred in the midterms, they're going to find a way to blame all of this on the Republicans when the strike actually does happen because they are cowards and can't take any responsibility for their shitty policies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very possible. But so, I, yeah, it's 
hard to predict exactly how it's going to come out, but this is a this is a huge uh, update. I think like this makes the possibility of a national rail strike actually happening way way higher than it was just a few days ago. So we'll definitely keep watching this. Uh, that November time frame is also around the time that the voting will be finishing for BLET and Smart TD. So there's you know I the a, the possibility of a nationwide rail strike is now like really potentially quite likely so we will be keeping folks posted on this one yeah absolutely and in our next follow-up we're going to be talking about activision in a related thing to what we've seen so many times not only with uh, starbucks workers but a a bunch of different companies that have done this sort of retaliation where activision illegally held uh withheld wages uh, basically saying that because of status quo they could not provide any benefits to the workers well the nlrb has said that that is wrong again as we always say i mean the company however still maintains that their refusal to grant wages increase uh the wage increase was legally required to them even though the fucking NLRB said, no, you're wrong. Yeah, I mean, Uh, we've explained so many times on this show, and, I mean, it's just been explained so many times in general, and it's very clear in the language of the NLRA that maintaining status quo does not mean that you are not allowed to give the employees who are unionizing the same increase in benefits that you would like to give all your other employees. It just means you have to ask them first. That's literally all it means. Yeah, because like as we've we've explained before, like where they the companies lean on this is they're like, look, it says we're not allowed to unilaterally offer workers new benefits during a, a union drive period, and it's like, yeah, there's a word in there that you keep leaving out yeah. of all <laughs> the rest of your statements, and it's unilaterally, in the same way that you can't unilaterally change conditions, you also can't unilaterally just not offer those changes Mm -hmm. (laughs) to your workers when you are giving them to all the rest of your workers. Because that's, that's the big thing here is basically as a way of attempting to dissuade workers from voting for the union, Activision Blizzard raised the minimum wage of all QA testers in the rest of their uh, departments to $20 an hour. Uh, this, of course, did not prevent the Raven software workers from voting overwhelmingly in favor of unionizing, but it does still it's it's the same playbook that we've seen from Starbucks. It's exactly the same thing that the NLRB has told Starbucks, no, you can't do this. Your assertion that you can't offer the workers these uh, raises is a lie, and you know it's a lie, and you need to stop doing this. And so Activision is literally just copy-pasting their playbook. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we'll see how this goes because, you know, Unfortunately, with U.S. labor law, when you're actually going through these channels, it takes for fucking ever because everything is so weighted in favor of the company. So, like, the Games Workers Alliance uh, responded to this ruling, uh, saying, giving a statement to TechCrunch, saying, quote, Despite their best efforts, Activision's con- constant attempts to undermine its workers and impede our union election have failed. We're glad the NLRB recognized that Activision acted illegally when they unequally enforced policies by withholding company-wide benefits and wage increases from Raven workers for organizing, end quote. So, I mean, the company, of course, Activision keeps saying, oh, no, we didn't do anything wrong. We don't know what you're talking about. We're going to keep appealing this. So this is probably going to keep getting kicked down the road. But it is still good and I think an important point that the NLRB has actually come out and said, look, We actually have a ruling on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, of course, 
as with any of these sorts of like labor law enforcement issues, it's going to come down to the workers being the ones, unfortunately, as always, who have to actually do the enforcement. So this, I think, really just throws like even more reasons why we need to support, you know, more workers in the games industry unionizing, because the more union density there is, the more ability that workers like these have to actually enforce labor law provisions that even a well-meaning NLRB like we have now can struggle to implement that actual enforcement since they have to go through round after round after round with Mm -hmm. administrative law judges before these things ever actually get hammered out. I mean, that's why even with 200-something unionized Starbucks, uh, Howard Schultz is still so desperate to try to put the toothpaste back in the tube because he still thinks he has time. But it's, you know, basically game over for him. Whereas I feel like Activision Blizzard is copying and pasting this failed playbook because they are still in in, an area where if they manage to stop this union, it might mean something. But I don't think that it's going to happen because these uh, workers have shown themselves repeatedly to be extremely committed to this union. And uh, I don't think you're going to be easily dissuaded by shit they've seen fail before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and then also, I mean, I guess we, I can't tell sometimes if these are follow-ups or if they are, you know, necessarily news stories because with all of the shit happening at Amazon, it always is new and it always is the same because Amazon will <laughs> never do anything to actually support their workers. But yeah, well, we, uh, can, we, we don't have to worry about whether it's a follow-up. We can just call it Amazon block, as in, yeah. I'd like to drop a very large block on Jeff Bezos. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, this is past Monday, October. Th- I guess this is we're recording on Monday the tenth. So last Monday on the third, uh, fire broke out at the JFK facility inside of a trash compactor, which caused smoke to fill most of that area where the trash compactor was. Amazon management had all uh, six hundred and fifty night shift workers. Uh, go into the break room after you know trying to after suppressing the fire and ordered everyone to return to work but a hundred of the workers then decided to march on the boss and basically held an impromptu sit-down strike demanding that they be allowed to go home until the area was safe and not full of smoke and the dangerous condition conditions that led to the fire were addressed yeah this whole situation was really popping off on twitter because like you had this constant barrage from Amazon that was just like, no, everything is fine. Nothing, nothing is happening. And then all these videos from workers at JFK, they're like, here's this raging inferno <laughs> in this trash compactor. And they're just like, no, it's fine. And, and, and so like, there's a, a bunch of folks were interviewed after this incident happened. Um, and like, so Seth Goldstein, who we've, we've mentioned on the show before, he's a lawyer for the ALU he was interviewed by vice and he said that the trash compactor that caught fire, uh, and I, this will of course, I think be no surprise to people who have worked for a company, uh, <laughs> that, that this trash compactor did not just suddenly burst into flames as the first problem with it ever in the warehouse that what? it was it a brand sp- new thing that just happened to break down randomly <laughs> and that it hasn't a totally neglected piece of equipment that's been known to have issues for years. <laughs> Damn. How did you predict that? The, <laughs> Cause he mentions that the, the trash compactor had actually been smoking for weeks and workers had repeatedly alerted management. They're like, yo, this thing is literally smoking. Mm-hmm. It's broken. 
And management's response was to go over to the trash compactor and pour water on it. Holy shit. And that's it. That's, that's all they did. That's that not even going to do anything. That, that, that is how you stop electrical fires is by pouring right? water on it. <laughs> yeah. That was the first thing I thought of. I'm like, you're going to make this work. Yeah, you're going to generate a problem that you're going to, now you're going to have two problems. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Goldstein actually said, uh, quote, God forbid they have to replace the compactor and lose their profits. One of the reasons people are unionizing at Amazon is because the employer cares about profits and doesn't care about their lives. Where's the transparency here? And I got to say, like, this guy's spitting fire. And then the ALU also issued a statement uh, following this incident demanding that Amazon address their concerns saying, quote, hundreds of workers bravely marched from the break room into the manager's office to make their demands clear. From there, some workers walked out of JFK 8 in disgust, while others continued to occupy the break room, waiting for a response from Amazon. The ALU says rights over rates. We have the right to our lives, the right to real raises, and the right to union recognition. Hell yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, in addition to this, like I, there was one other thing though I wanted to mention that is part of the reason you know workers have been in such a militant mood at the JFK facility lately, which is that recently Amazon gave all of their workers a raise. Which you're like, oh great, that's fantastic, a raise. Everybody wants a raise. You know that's one of the things the ALU's fighting for is thirty dollars an hour. So it was a raise of twenty five cents per hour. <laughs> And and then Amazon had been going around like, look, look how benevolent we are. You don't need a union. We just gave you 25 cents an hour. Ignore the fact that with 9% inflation, give it like this is almost worse than just not doing anything because you're passing off a pay cut as a raise. Whereas even if you just let people's wages, you know, stagnate, you wouldn't at least be lying to their face and telling them that you're giving them something. So Right. Well, yeah, I mean, a 25 cent an hour raise at that point, it's like, why not just give me the pizza party again? What is wrong with <laughs> <Right>? you? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, on, of course, Amazon responded to the workers' protest kind of exactly how you'd expect from Amazon. So after about, there was about 100 workers that ran a march on the boss that were just basically like, look, yeah, we know you put the fire out, but the warehouse is full of smoke. Like, mm-hmm. that doesn't, that's not a safe working environment to just be breathing in particulate matter like that all the time. Well, and like, we know as workers that you as management don't know how many of us have asthma or right. COVID-related lung complications or any number of other conditions that might make us sensitive to smoke. And you just want us to go in there and risk our fucking health so that you don't have to experience an interruption. Because a critical piece of equipment that you're responsible for maintaining literally caught fire in your building. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I I don't know how many people's brains prefer to understand this in math terms, but assume assuming they were like someone was making fifteen dollars an hour, a nine percent raise, which is to keep up with inflation, is a dollar thirty five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And, then, so and that and I mean, people might even be being paid more than that, which would make the raise even larger than a dollar thirty five requirement to keep up with inflation. So uh, maybe right. that puts it in a little bit of perspective for people. And, and so Amazon's response to this protest uh, was that the next day they suspended pretty much all the workers that were involved in the march on the boss. Amaz- the numbers were a little, depending on which source I got it from, Amazon claimed they suspended about 50 people. Uh, but the union says it was between 80 and 100. And I'm going to go with the people who tell the truth more often, which is sure. the union. So, um, 
And Amazon, you know, put out a statement. While Amazon respects its workers' rights to protest, it is not appropriate for employees to occupy active workspaces, break rooms, or thoroughfares in its warehouse. But it's illegal to fire them for doing so. It's concerted, <laughs> protected activity. It would be illegal if there were two of them. There were a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> it would be illegal if they hadn't had a union election, too. Because yeah. as we've discussed before, this is about a workplace safety condition. It's the same exact thing mm-hmm. that the NLRB ruled against Voodoo Donuts for when they fired people for walking out of an unsafe work environment due to heat. This is exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, there have already been ULPs filed against Amazon by the ALU for this action. But another thing that they pointed out is that this is not an isolated incident because just a couple of days later, there was a fire at the ALB1 facility mm. in uh, Skodak, Albany? New York. Which, oh. Yeah, it's the like just outside Albany, mm-hmm. um, which is where the ALU's next election this is this week. But there was a big, completely different response by Amazon's management. There in at the Albany facility, they canceled the next day shifts to give time for the place to air out, which is all the ALU workers had been asking for. Right. And they didn't suspend anybody for asking that their shifts be canceled. It's obvious that, you know, on the one hand, Amazon wants to have any way they can possible to attack the ALU at JFK 8, where they've already lost the election. But they also are afraid of losing the election in Albany, and so they're willing to have a completely different policy to be a bit more hands-off right when, you know, they're coming up against a, a election vote. Yeah, and I, one thing that I think that this highlights is with fires breaking out at union facilities that are receiving a lot of press, it, it makes me wonder how many other facilities are experiencing conditions like this that are just totally un, unreported. Uh, but that's oh, just kind absolutely. of a, a, a hypothetical question to put out there. We're going to move to another Amazon story where Amazon is suing Washington State for fining them for safety. Basically, like... <laughs> yeah. We know when it comes to the state finding companies for safety, it is always an inadequate response to what is going on. And yet Amazon still sees this as an affront to their ability to exploit the workers. I mean, this is really just a testament to how emboldened Amazon is, right? I mean, they basically Mm -hmm. consider themselves a government. And even though they operate under the laws of the federal government and the various state governments of the United States, if they get busted for violating labor law, their new answer is to turn around and say, Nuh-uh, you violated labor law. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So to explain the background for this, so Amazon has been fined by Washington State's Labor Board because they have repeatedly refused to address safety concerns at their warehouses in Washington State. And, of course, we've talked many times on the show about how there's reams and reams of statistical data that show that Amazon facilities are literally two to three times more dangerous than other similar warehouse facilities because Amazon is running their employees ragged to get maximum profits. We literally just covered two examples. Right. (laughs) But I mean, even in normal operations, not when shit's on fire. Although maybe that, I guess, I don't know. Maybe I need to recalibrate what normal is. Maybe shit being on fire is normal at Amazon. But they're now claiming that Washington acted illegally by fining them because it would be expensive to pay the fines is essentially (laughs) their argument. Like, uh, so this is coming out of like Reuters' basic uh, 
release where they're talking about how in March, Washington State's Labor Department ruled that Amazon was violating state workplace safety laws by requiring workers at its Kent, Washington facility to perform rapid, repetitive motions that put them at a high risk for injury, which, I mean, it just does. That sort of thing can cause harm in all sorts of different ways, from carpal tunnel to various joint problems to back problems. It can, like, really break you down by having to do the same quick motion over Mm -hmm. and over and over again all day. Um, And so they cited the company for seven violations and key to this finding and key to this whole case is that this is, again, of course, not the first time they've done this. They had fined the company several times for violations in the past. And they specifically cited the fact that they had cited Amazon for these problems and that Amazon refused to change them as evidence, pretty clearly, that Amazon is just deliberately violating state safety codes. And so Amazon has now sued the state for this, and their argument is from their lawyers, quote, what the department seeks is nothing short of a fundamental redesign and retrofit of most aspects of a roughly 1.1 million square foot facility with disruptions for employees and customers. (laughs) Uh, Shut up. Shut up. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't understand how that's a legal argument. It's like, what does that have to do with whether you broke the law? Like, just because you don't like the punishment does not mean you didn't break the law. Oh, like, I can't yeah. believe the zoning board says I have to have a roof on my house. <laughs> yeah. What is wrong with them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and then in our next story, we've got... uh all, all the way over in Japan, because Amazon is a multinational corporation, Amazon has been trying to get workers to avoid, uh, to, to use fake IDs in order for them to not have to pay overtime for the workers. It's just wild, the amount of labor intensification yeah. that's been going on at Amazon. Yeah. So this is a story out of a paper in Japan called the Asahi Shimbun, which has done this investigation... Uh, and partially through uh, working with a union that's working to try and unionize Amazon drivers in Japan, where they've uncovered this scheme that, like so many others that Amazon has run, Amazon is essentially using their network of contractors as a way to, like, violate Japanese labor law but give themselves some deniability with that layer of separation with the contractors. So, because, like, like here in the U.S., pretty much most of Amazon's, like, pretty much all their drivers in Japan are legally independent contractors working through contract firms. Of course, as we know, they are Amazon employees. They're just not legally classified as such. And so the union that's working to try and organize these delivery drivers in Japan reported that some of the workers that they've been working with told them that the contract firms that hire out these drivers have been telling drivers who work more than 60 hours a week that when they next come in, they, they, I mean, they still have to keep working. It's not like, Oh, you hit your 60 hours. That's that's it for the week. Mm -hmm. No, they have to keep driving. But then when they come in, they're told, no, no, you can't clock in with your idea. You, You already hit 60. You need to clock in with somebody else's ID. Because Amazon has a system to match up with the labor laws in Japan Mm -hmm. that says you can't have any delivery drivers have more than 60 hours. But if you just lie... (laughs) <laughs> right. I just want to know, that. like, how is it that, like, that is still paying the worker who did the work? Like, that sounds just like a, a, a method of wage theft on top of that. 
I'm sure oh, there's yeah. wage theft involved. Yeah. I mean, when I first saw this, I was kind of like, I was shocked. I was like, wow, how can this possibly be something they think they can even get away with? But then I remembered how many jobs where I've had managers who are like, can you come in early and get some stuff done before you punch in? Or like, uh, hey, if, if you're going to be five hours over 40 this week, can I put that on next week when you have an extra mm-hmm. day off? And it's Never. like, it's all the same shit, really. It's just on a continuum. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So uh, the union is, is really fighting against this issue and hoping that the publicity in the, in the media will help that. Uh, they've called for an end to Amazon's, quote, heinous illegal activity to conceal excess labor and long driving hours. And they've mentioned that, like, while a couple of these complaints did come from, like, one specific region in Japan, they said they've heard similar cases from workers all over the country. And so they, they say that ultimately their goal, as you would expect for most of these, these unions— is to change the situation in Japan so that these workers are no longer misclassified as independent contractors, are properly contract are, like listed as Amazon employees, and that therefore more normal, more regimented, more strict overtime laws will apply to them. Yeah, we need to get rid of all of these independent contracting laws internationally. Mm-hmm. And then to move to uh, one of our favorite unions to cover in the in this recent year, Teamsters uh, in Boston, there are uh, Teamsters drivers at Cisco, the food distribution supply chain style company that have gone on the picket lines as of September 30th, who join 230 other Teamsters who have been striking in Syracuse. Uh, Over the weekend of October, workers at uh, Cisco in Arizona launched an informational picket as well to publicize the fight of the workers in Syracuse and Boston. And so, I mean, the Teamsters represent 10,000 Cisco workers workers in facilities around the country. I, I... it's it would be better if they were all on one consistent contract and did uh, pattern bargaining, but I guess at the moment they are uh, just showing solidarity as they can within their union. Yeah, yeah. so you have workers at both of these facilities uh, who have uh, similar demands. They're fighting for better wages, and the Boston drivers specifically are fighting to stop the company from dropping their pension plans for a 401k. I was just talking to somebody recently about how we just don't have that many pensioners in the United States anymore, and we all have these shitty-ass 401ks instead. Uh, And, of course, the company is also attacking the union for launching multiple strikes, uh, saying the union is, quote, now threatening to unlawfully extend picket lines to other Cisco companies, acting on a Teamsters-driven national agenda that demonstrates a complete lack of care or concern for the impact these actions will have on our associates, their families, (laughs) our customers, and the communities that depend on our customers for food, which that's such a ridiculous thing to say because that's why they're striking. That's literally the exact yeah. reason. Because when you're a Teamster who d- drives a Cisco truck, you know that 80 to 90% of restaurants, ballparks, and anywhere else that serves food is just taking shit out of buckets on your truck, heating it up, and throwing it on a plate. Like you can, You could stop an incredible amount of industry if these drivers decide to stop delivering things. Yeah, like... Usually, I tend to wait to put company uh, quotes at the end so we can mock them right before the end of the story. (laughs) But this one I put towards the the beginning of this just because the phrase Teamsters driven national agenda, I just found so (laughs) funny. Like, 
the way that they're clearly orienting this in like the lingo of like Fox News, mm-hmm. I just think is so funny and so telling of like the union buster like corporate mindset. Oh no, not the and- Teamsters. They're basically the Soviet mafia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but for what they're actually fighting for, uh, you know, so the Boston Globe talked to Michael Clark, who's the secretary treasurer of Teamsters Local 653 in Boston, who are, you know, the workers that are on strike there. And he said that basically, in addition, obviously, to trying to save their pension plans, they're also trying to fight the de facto creation of tiered wages at their shop mm-hmm. because the company has offered wage increases in their new contract, but only to drivers who are driving tractor trailers, which is the majority of the workers at their shop. But the workers say that they're like, wait a minute, we also have workers who drive vans, they drive smaller trucks, they drive shuttles, and no, they don't get a wage increase in this contract? That's stupid like Mm -hmm. the contract is for all the workers so all the workers should get a raise so i mean that's one of the things i think is so important about this strike is it's a preemptive fight to keep the company from instituting a two-tiered wage system which is you know i think that it's good to see that level of solidarity because when the majority of the drivers are tractor trailer drivers it would be very easy to just say well i'm getting a a wage increase whatever i don't want to go on strike but that's again with the the Teamsters here very clearly understanding the importance of that solidarity. And the other key issue being that the company wants to kick workers off their union health care and switch to a privatized health care system and to kick them off their pension plans and switch to a 401k. And so as Clark told the Globe, on the comp if you're on the company health plan, quote, if you got sick, you were going bankrupt. It seemed to me their last best and final offer was just a big middle finger. They weren't taking us seriously. End quote. Yeah, and I mean to put in perspective what Cisco as a company does, uh, delivery drivers deliver between twenty and forty thousand pounds of food every day, uh, with work shifts that exceed that often exceed uh, twelve hours. They are contractually capped at only seventy hours per week, but the company dr- like forces the workers to basically break the contract language there so often because of the high demand and their unwillingness to hire more workers. And additionally, I mean, like let's think about how many workers they're employing over fifty eight thousand workers across three hundred facilities, and the company has brought in over a billion dollars in profits over the last year but over half of the employees have been on the job for less than a year due to the huge amount of turnover caused by the company's harsh work conditions and so i mean i think that if anything this shows a need for an even stronger fight i mean like not that the i mean obviously these striking workers are showing the strength of the teamsters but i mean really these conditions are are appalling to the point where Cisco just has insane turn- turnover, and that, and we know what that's like in in a lot of companies like this. I mean, twelve hour shifts and have and having to do seventy plus hour weeks, it, it really smells like some of the other industries where people really feel like they're trapped because it's a quote unquote yeah. good job. You know, uh, yeah, I absolutely. guess freight rail comes to mind uh, right away. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah. it, it's it's also interesting because like th- with the workers showing their strength, the company has already kind of given up on healthcare. They're like, okay, you can stay on the union plan with a higher company contribution, 
but we are still not going to contribute to the union pension plan. Fuck you. We're absolutely uh, stonewalling you on that. And the workers have completely refused to accept a deal that makes them take a 401k instead of a pension. And so the strike has continued into its second week, which is awesome. And I mean, I really can't stress enough how much better a pension is than yeah. the 401k. It's night and day. Yeah. 401ks are scams. Yeah, <laughs> That's absolutely. true. <laughs> And as a final thought on this one, we have a quote from Sean O'Brien himself saying, Cisco pushes its workers to the physical brink as if they were disposable robots. No longer will we allow the company to churn workers and then throw them away. And hell, hell yeah. yeah. Sean O'Brien, fucking hero. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So for our next story, this one was wild. Some of the, because, so this. We're talking about an Alabama paper mill where workers have, well, they haven't actually technically just gone on strike. They've been locked out by their company after they rejected a contract offer that contained a contract bonus for all workers just for signing a contract of $28,000 per worker. Yeah, yeah. Twenty. That means that you sign this and you get twenty eight thousand dollars. That must put a big think emoji on this one because what is it worth twenty eight thousand dollars per worker to this company? How about more than twenty eight thousand dollars in shared like exploitation? Yeah, I mean yeah. they're probably taking away your. They have to take away a lot of stuff to make it quote unquote cost effective to give you a twenty eight thousand dollar bonus. That's your health care. That's your days off. That's your uh, prioritized scheduling. That's everything. Yeah, well, and it's the days off where you're hitting on the big yeah. problem that that, <laughs> that, that that these workers have been looking at because. Again, it's kind of become the big theme. The way that the U.S. corporations are trying to stay competitive is through speed up. It's mm-hmm. through labor intensification. We're seeing it everywhere with the deployment of lean manufacturing, of, of mandatory OT being essentially like in everywhere. Uh, and that's really what ha- is the heart of this issue. And this is all coming out of a really good report in the Real News Network. Like really, uh, I, like I'm going to. I'll probably link it in the show notes just because it's a wild story and I think it's a really well-written article. But um, so this is workers at the Mart Mill Paper Complex in Cottonton, Alabama. And so there's 500 workers who are, are unionized with the steel workers at this plant. And on October 1st, those 500 members voted to reject the last best and final contract offer from the owners of the mill, West Rock. And... The reason that the workers rejected that, you know, enormous, and for some people, I, mean, I think a lot of people would consider, you know, a, the, the company's just willing to give you a check for $28,000 to be a pretty difficult thing to turn down. But I think that this, this, well, this lockout is showing that these workers have a, a really good level of foresight to understand that that $28,000 is a bribe because what they wanted the workers to accept in that new contract is giving up every contract provision against mandatory overtime and schedule protection. Like it would get rid of all overtime protections for workers and would essentially have no union protection whatsoever in their contract for like, if they want to not work every waking hour of their life at the mill, uh, because like currently the company is required to pay workers time and a half, anytime they work on Sunday, 
double time if they've already hit 40 or more hours and are asked to work on a Sunday. And anytime they're asked to work a shift over 16 hours, which that tells you the level of exploitation when they have to put in a contract provision about being asked to work more than 16 hours because they wouldn't put that in there if it wasn't something the company often did. And so there was a provision in their old contract that if the company makes you do a shift that long, you retroactively get time and a half for that entire shift, no matter like when it occurred during your week. So those are pretty important, you know, incentives to make the company be like, okay, we're not, I guess we can't, really make every one of these 500 people work 16 hours a day every day because mm-hmm. we'll have to pay them all time and a half and that's too expensive. I guess we'll have to hire a couple more people and work them normal hours. But that's not. But the company hates doing that. The company wants to work everybody every waking hour of their day and that's why they've been willing to spend what for these workers would be essentially, for the company, $15 million to give all 500 of these workers approximately $30,000. And they're willing to spend that $15 million, not because they're generous, but because they know that if they get rid of those contract provisions, those protections that those overtime restrictions allow for those workers, then for all future workers that they ever hire, they will be able to work them forever. And so that's why these workers have turned down what I think a lot of people would see as like, oh, that's incredible. I can't believe they're offering you that. It's a bribe. Because, yeah. <laughs> You get that one thing and maybe, you you know, I'm sure you these people could do a lot of good things. It, the money would legitimately help their lives. But that puts you into a situation then in the future that's basically the same one that the rail workers are in right mm-hmm. now where you have no control over your schedule. You are at work all the time and you never see your family. So that is the conditions that have led these workers at this paper mill in Alabama to reject what I think most places would see as like a very generous contract offer. You know, I mean, forget seeing your family when you work 16 hour shifts, you don't even have time to sleep anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and even some of the workers who that they've tried to bring in as scab labor, uh, the contract workers have refused to cross the picket lines and the company has immediately fired them. Uh, yeah. and, and even though they are, uh, Ibed, I wait. Is this saying that IB there are IBW people who are being brought in as scabs? No. So the mill uses contract IBEW workers on a regular basis, and so in as they were doing the negotiations for this contract, as it was going towards a lockout, they were like, "Well, okay, we're going to lock out these." these steel workers, but you have to keep coming in even during their strike. And so the IBEW workers are like, no, <laughs> <We're gonna laughs> that's not line. Fuck you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's great that, uh, there are people standing in solidarity there. Uh, and so, yeah, it, immediately, basically once the workers said they would reject this contract, West rock is like, okay, fine. Fuck you. We're just going to lock you out and try and run with scabs. And so they're trying to use their managers as well as bring in out-of-state scabs um, to try and run the mill. Uh, longtime mill workers who were interviewed by both The Real News and then uh, also in a Yahoo Finance piece questioned whether the scabs are going to be able to operate complex machinery in a paper mill without any experience on it. And have, all, have raised concerns that like not only will that potentially make the mill less productive, which who cares, more importantly would put the scabs themselves at a risk of physical harm because of having to operate, you know, the complex and dangerous machinery of a paper mill with little to no training. So 
one other thing though that I think is really interesting about this was just learning about the conditions in the paper mill industry where like I, there are two primary companies that dominate paper production in the US which are Westrock and then the big one International Paper. And both of those companies have have been able to get concessionary deals through at a lot of their other mills to get rid of these sorts of overtime protections. And so like that's a big part of why Restaurant wants to get rid of it because this the Mart mill is is sort of an outlier where workers have been able to preserve mm-hmm. those overtime protections and now Westrock is like no, come on. you got to be as exploited as all the rest of our mill. Well, and what's interesting about that as well is that it adds another layer to what that $28,000 signing bonus really means. It means that they have the numbers. They've seen the profits that right. they make go up. And so they know that handing off thirty grand per worker is not a fucking big deal. And that should tell you how, you know, how protective this contract language is for these workers in making sure that like they get paid for the work they do but also that the company feels it's prohibitively expensive to just simply work them into the ground yeah and i mean like it's pretty clear that this uh it's not worth the bribe and we have a quote here from bobby watson the president of usw local 971 who said all this language that they're wanting to buy or now force people to lose is all under their control they're the master they control the workforce they hire and fire so if you would properly staff your mills and your locations this language wouldn't be a problem why are you wanting to eliminate it it's a penalty there to protect us from your abuse yeah which is you know it's crazy to think that they could be more abused than they already are and that plenty of workers already are more abused than these ones because the schedule that they work right now blew my mind when I first yeah. read it. So this is something called the, quote, reverse southern swing shift, which honestly sounds like a transmission style for a car. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or like a, a 1940s like dance craze. Yeah, or like the sequel to uh, Reefer Madness or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they work seven days on graveyard shift. Uh, then they get one day off, seven days on second shift, another single solitary day off. Then they work first shift for a week and then they get four days off before they repeat the cycle. And so that's a month where it's like the first three weeks of the month, you only get one day off at a time. And then you finally get to work a week of first shift and go to the bank and the grocery store at normal hours. And then it's like, all right, I have four days to prep myself for hell again, showing up at work at what is the graveyard shift? Like 11 to nine or something like that it's usually 10 to 6 10 to 6 okay yeah uh it not uh, necessarily you know this shift everybody wants to be working Mm -hmm. uh every month and additionally it's not just that you know you you, you've got this weird rotation of hours but the workers say that their eight hour shifts routinely get stretched to 12 hours to 16 hours and, and that they've also noted that the like to show the level of work intensification in the paper industry that on average paper mills have about 20% of their total hours coming from overtime, which, I mean, that's already a lot that like functionally what that really means is that like, as if you translate that into staffing, it means that on average a paper mill is 20% understaffed Mm -hmm. in, in, in the industry. At Mart Mill, which is where this is going on, their overtime hours tend to be 40% of their total hours. So they are, on average, 
twice as understaffed as other mills, which jo- shows you know just how exploitative the conditions already are, mm-hmm. and they want to make them worse by getting rid of these overtime protections. Yeah, so, and it's not like we even have to say it, but Westrock isn't doing this because they're hurting for cash. They are the right. second biggest packaging company in the country with 50,000 employees and $3.4 billion in profits just last year. Their CEO made $21 million last year. So he he could pay for these bribes himself. Yes. And still make $6 million. And still like, be rich. <laughs> That's how small this is, because like that's where we have to get into the perspective of thinking, and that mm-hmm. is the level of foresight that these workers have had to understand that that fifty that thirty thousand dollars for each of them may mean a lot, but for the company, that fifteen million is nothing. Yeah, and so the like the I think it's really encouraging to see like the the pretty I think advanced level of understanding that we've got with the workers at this plant. So uh, last Thursday, the sixth, when like they hit the deadline for contract negotiations. Uh, the company just announced Westrock said, all right, fine. We're locking you out. You're not allowed to come to work. Um, and in response, uh, Steelworkers district nine director, Daniel Flippo said in a statement, quote, Westrock must be made accountable for its decision to hold hostage, our jobs, families, and community over issues that should be resolved through collective bargaining. Management needs to end this lockout immediately, return these workers to their jobs, and commit to resolving our differences at the table to ensure that members have a proper work-life balance. All workers deserve this, end quote. Oh, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and so, like, these folks have been getting all sorts of solidarity from other unions, including other, like, steelworkers locals that are at other West Rock mills. I think one thing that's, it's another thing though, this like last thing that's kind of interesting about this. Initially, the international union leadership actually recommended the workers accept this offer. Mm. But I, the good thing to report is that after the workers voted it down, the international didn't turn around and be like, what are you doing? This is stupid. This was such a great deal. Why didn't you accept it? They are just like, all right, fine. Like the workers don't like the deal. They've had their they've they've said their piece and we're going to back them. Fuck you. Stop doing this illegal lockout and let the workers back to their jobs. Absolutely. I mean, they should keep all of their work conditions, all the things that they want and the twenty eight thousand dollar. Well, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I, there was just like one last thing I thought was great in the, in the, the real news piece where they interviewed uh, the president of local 1877 of the steel workers in Florence, South Carolina, which is at where another West Rock paper mill is located. And he said in response to like the, this lockout and their, their locals willingness to back up these workers in Alabama that quote, if we're going to fight now's the time. So absolutely. Hell yeah. Well, Great to see this level of solidarity. In that thought of if we're, if we're going to fight, now is the time. Uh, yeah. We've actually got another Supreme Court case that are is very important. This one that is potentially going to basically destroy unions' ability to strike. And that's any sort of union. This is whether or not you're state-recognized, you're doing a concerted protected work activity, you're doing a walkout for workplace safety, all of these things would be in jeopardy with this ruling. So the ruling itself, as uh, reported by Dave Jamison, uh, is for the case Glacier Northwest versus the Teamsters, 
And it comes out of a 2017 strike in the concrete industry in Washington state. And uh, the company is claiming that the workers destroyed their property, their concrete, by holding a strike <laughs> and that the union must pay for the damages. I mean, I, this, is this stem from the fact that concrete is a timely material? The, yeah, that's their basic argument. But that argument doesn't even fit the facts of what happened because Basically, what the, this company, uh, Glacier Northwest, is arguing in this suit is that the union knew they were going to go on strike, and there was already concrete mix in their trucks. And so the fact that they went on strike meant that they destroyed that concrete. The problem is they leave out – I mean, first off, I don't think the union should be liable for that anyway because the company are the ones who made the workers go on strike in the first place. So mm. anything that happens is the company's fault. But even re- disregarding that – the specific case of what they're saying isn't true. The Teamsters pointed out that they left their trucks running when they walked off the job, specifically so the concrete wouldn't harden and become useless. And so if it did, then the only reason that happened is because the company then turned the trucks off. So the, even just the basic facts of the case are like, why, like, well, why would you even accept this? And it and really it goes to show- it's exactly like when the Starbucks workers were fired for cleaning their shop after they they finished their or, yeah after they finished their strike in at Starbucks. Yeah. I mean, like it, it's just a blatant retaliation attempt. Well, and it also like even if the accusations were true, it still wouldn't make any fucking sense. Like if you're grocery store workers and you go on strike, and then your boss is like, "I can't believe you kept stocking the shelves with produce right up until you walked right. out." Then that produce went bad. It's like. Fuck you, idiot. It's your problem. It's your business. Like, <laughs> well, and these examples that we're bringing up of why this is ridiculous are the reason this case is so dangerous. Mm-hmm. Because if you can accept that sort of an argument, you can apply it to anything. Right. So, because like in the past, lower courts have always held with decades of judicial precedence that the NLRA, which protects work stoppages from charges of property damage like this, preempts any state laws or whatever. And so these sorts of claims, like this one from Glacial Northwest, usually like they they sue the union and then the state court or is like, what are you? No, the NLRA covers this and preempt. No, you can't sue them. What are you doing? And so they just dismiss it. But now... Now that we have a you know an even more far right version of the council of unelected nine elders who get to decide what the law is, they've chosen to take this case up for the next coming uh, court season. So like the just the fact that they are willing to hear this case gives us an indication that they are likely to rule in favor of the company because if if there was like a lot of real doubt on that they would just stick with the you know decades and decades of judicial precedents well, and send it back to the lower courts who would just say, no, the NLRB gets to handle this. Yeah, I mean, if, so, if, if anybody on the Supreme Court actually thought it was their job to interpret the law, which is what I'm always hearing is their job, uh, <laughs> <laughs> then they wouldn't even consider this case at all because it's so yeah. cut and dry. Yeah, and I think like it's important to look at like other examples. like The, the grocery store example I think is really good because this – if this case is ruled in the company's favor, it will essentially make it a bankruptable practice for almost any union to strike. But, and I think like, a, for instance, like UFCW, 
who is like largely grocery store workers, then like for instance, the, the King Super Strike that happened mm-hmm. in Denver earlier this year, a big part of the reason the UFCW was able to win some good gains out of that is because most of the stuff in a grocery store is perishable. So if you go on strike for more than a couple of days, you're going to have a lot of ruined product. Well, now, if this goes through, those stores can now sue the UFCW for any lost product during that strike. Well, and that would just make it so prohibitive that it would become nearly impossible to hold a strike. Uh, and additionally, as I mentioned, with the idea, and I've seen some people maybe be like, oh, we're now we're going to have to do Wildcats more. And I'm like, that's not going to stop the state from just then taking it out of the workers' salaries. They would just be like, oh, well, the now protected concerted work activity is also applied to this because though it's not a state-recognized union, it is a union of workers committing an action and therefore i mean like it is not a a leap it is not some sort of grand sweeping statement to say that it wouldn't just make even wildcat strikes illegal so i mean we should really temper any sort of you know i know that i've just seen a couple people have kind of an accelerationist view on on this and and how you know oh well now we get to wildcat more no 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 that does not that is not what that means Well, I mean, we saw this before already when Warrior Met tried to uh, get a ruling earlier this year as part of a uh, year and a half long strike by UMWA co-workers where Warrior Met tried to sue the union for millions of dollars in lost profits from unmined coal, which is even more ridiculous because the coal is still there. You can still (laughs) go get it. It ain't going to go bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. And that case, as we talked about on on the show, was handled through the NLRB as mm-hmm. it's supposed to. And so they charged him with $14 million. And you know, was like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's ridiculous. We're not going to pay that. And the NLRB went and looked at it and they're like, okay, yeah, you're right. We'll just bring it back down to the original charges we agreed to. But now... They wouldn't even have to go through the NLRB if this court if this case goes through. They could just sue them in state court, and uh, a lot of state courts would be more than happy to destroy any union in yeah. any way that they can. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, like, so there was a and quote: then "Prepare for tort reform in regards to that too." Right. And so, like, in in this this HuffPost article from Dave Jamieson, we talked to this uh, law professor at uh, at Harvard, uh, Sharon Block, who said, "Quote: If the court ends up saying, well, sure, you can strike.'" but you have to strike in a way that doesn't cause anybody any discomfort, then I think that's a pretty significant rethinking of the law, end quote. I'm like, uh, yes, I think that's a bit of an understatement myself. Yeah, well, because, I mean, the explicit point of a strike is to cause the company financial discomfort. That's what you're doing. You're threatening to take away the thing that makes them money and inhibit them from getting it back. Yeah, so we won't see a ruling on this case until later next year. But it's one that should be on everyone's radar because, mm-hmm. like, we know we've already seen Amazon trying to send everything back to the Lochner era where contract is king and labor law is basically illegal. And this is would be a huge broadside uh, in the the assault on, on labor rights in this country towards going back to the the bad old days like that. So mm-hmm. we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that one. Yeah, and then. As with every single week, we also keep an eye on Starbucks Workers United and all of the different gains and struggles that have been going on in that movement. And so uh, 
you know, they, as we did last week, they uh, we covered the different amounts of demand or the different kinds of demands that Starbucks Workers United are going to be presenting at the bargaining table uh, in order to protect workers and provide them with better and safer work conditions. And so uh, we've got this week's handful of uh, of new demands. I guess I'll start with the first one, which is the right to transfer and pick up shifts. Uh, Starbucks has fear-mongered that by joining the union, workers would lose this lose the ability to transfer or pick up shifts at non-union stores. Uh, Starbucks Workers United contract language proposes allowing all union workers to pick up shifts at either union or non-union stores, as well as the right to temporarily transfer to other stores. Yeah, that's a really big one because Starbucks has been using that uh, that weird area of trying to pick up shifts at non-union stores as a as a union employee, as as a way to try and uh, push uh, organizers out or make them feel uncomfortable with their. Uh, employment situation. They're also uh, one of their other demands is eliminating Starbucks dress code. The union is proposing getting rid of the dress code beyond state and federal health and safety standards. They also expect Starbucks to provide clean aprons and reimburse the workers for two pairs of non-slip shoes every year, which is really really big uh because having worked at Starbucks, it eats through your shoes. You would think you were like laying concrete or something. <laughs> it's surprising. Yeah, and we've seen the ways that like the dress code has been weaponized against so many people. We've got a story on that right after this that mm-hmm. happened this week about a partner who was fired at Starbucks specifically for violating Starbucks's ridiculous dress code. So, like this I think is another very important demand. And so, uh the next one for hours and schedules, this is a, a good one. They're proposing that any worker with more than 32 hours be classified as a full-time employee, that workers will have to be provided at least two consecutive days off, though they may elect to split them. And they also lay out a standard overtime proposal for time and a half for any worker exceeding 40 hours in a week or eight hours in a day. And real big one, they also propose extending benefits to part-time workers. So Hell like, yeah. I mean, again, all of one of the so good. One of the many ways that Starbucks has, you know, weaponized their benefits program is to basically be like, yeah, no, we have so many great benefits. Shame that you want a union, though. It'd be a shame Mm -hmm. if if you reduced your hours below what you could actually get those benefits from. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then another protection that they're going to be putting in there is about job descriptions. The union proposes formalizing the descriptions of all jobs at Starbucks and that workers may not have additional job responsibilities added to their description without approval from the store labor committee, which we talked about last week with a the labor committee, which will be uh, two parts worker, one part uh, company. And uh, I mean, actually making sure that when you are told to do more work you also get more pay classic yeah. uh, classic uh union contract job description uh language yeah well and formalizing job descriptions is super super important and it's one of the ones that i think it's overlooked the most often because it uh-huh. seems like something that you kind of have to you have to have a lot of other stuff already earned before you can even think about that and it's like no you should probably just include it in your initial ask or as soon as you think of it uh, another one of the demands they're asking for is seniority so as with most union contracts sbwu is proposing to protect workers seniority rights and make seniority the primary 
primary determinant for things like layoffs, promotions, better schedules, and overtime allotment, which makes a lot of sense because it takes it out of the company's hands and makes it much harder for them to arbitrarily use these things to retaliate against employees. Exactly. Because, yeah, like, I I have seen, like... On specifically on seniority, like I've definitely seen some questions about that from from people because it is one of those things that I think it can seem like this then would bias a contract against like new workers and maybe set up some sort of contradiction like between, mm-hmm. you know, workers with less seniority and workers with more seniority. But you like I think like it was really good. Like John, you you hit exactly on why this is so important. Because if you don't have a sort of standardized system for this sort of thing, for handling layoffs, for handling promotions, for handling who gets these schedules, it will, as you said, it's left up to the company and the company can weaponize that in so many different Mm -hmm. ways. Absolutely. And so in addition to those, they then had a proposal on labor management committees, which is basically every store forming a committee of workers to handle grievances and to direct changes at the store. Wait, was I Um, wrong about saying that that was last week and that I'm just reading the news so much that I think that it actually happened last week when it really happened this week? They talked about the labor management committees last week, but I don't think they necessarily laid out the proposal. It's there's okay. so many of these that it's it's kind of hard because like I think that was the the formalizing of what the labor management committee is, mm-hmm. which as you already described. Um, and then there was a few other specific things they had proposed that are, are pretty standard, like prohibiting reduction in employee pay or benefits without negotiating with the union. That's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, in having all stores install a union bulletin board. And an agreement that workers can wear union paraphernalia on the clock without discipline, which is one of those things that's like technically that's already a right, but it can it it can get reduced to you can wear a button. And so mm-hmm. this is like you can wear a shirt, you can wear a hat, you can wear whatever. And so it, that, in addition with the eliminating of the dress code policy, will take a lot of the tools that management currently has to go after pro-union employees off the table expanding the button clause with contract language until I'm able to wear an SBWU full tracksuit to work every day. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. As long as you got the apron over it, why not? Why not? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, despite the fact that Starbucks has said that it's ready to bargain with the union at this point, uh, they have continued to attack the, the union and the workers in the union uh constantly i mean on tuesday october 4th the company fired will westlake a prominent buffalo organizer who assisted in the unionization of many stores around the country for quote violating the dress code by wearing a suicide awareness pin as a tribute to a friend who had passed away earlier this year i mean the pin which simply says you are not alone and has the website for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention was apparently uh so bad that you know I guess they des- he deserved to be fired because he had worn it quote dozens of times. Yeah, this one like I I don't know, it's hard because it's hard to decide what is the most fucked up thing that mm-hmm. that Starbucks has done in their union campaign is it trying to extort trans workers by threatening them with the loss of health care if they unionize uh, the, doing the same thing to workers who may become pregnant with their coverage for abortion care uh, or in this case firing somebody for wearing a and it's a small pin and even if it wasn't I don't know how you could justify this but literally a pin that is just saying hey if you need help you can reach out 
That's like literally all it is. It's, I don't know. It's, this is just, it's like one of those ones where like the, the cruelty seems to be the whole point of it. And mm-hmm. it's just so fucking gross. Like, uh, Wes, like, uh, said in an interview with Bloomberg quote, there are a lot of partners at store who are dealing with mental health crises. We did lose someone at my store to this issue. And the fact that somehow it's going to be suppressed, I don't think is helpful to anyone's mental health in our store end quote. And yeah. And like, as we've said that, like, this has become a really common way for Starbucks to go after pro union workers, just the selective enforcement of the dress code. Uh, it's something that multiple companies, including Starbucks have been dinged by the NLRB for being like, you're not allowed to do this shit, but of course they just keep doing it. Um, and Starbucks, because this firing, because of how cruel it is, because of how absurd their reasoning is their Starbucks did get a lot of backlash online for this. And their response was, Oh, we didn't just fire him for wearing the suicide awareness pin. We fired him for repeated attendance issues. Oh, uh, <laughs> attendance, famously, unlike dress codes, not something that's ever selectively enforced to be weaponized against organizers. Yeah, and, and immediately after they posted that, like Will went on Twitter and, and just was like, look, I have screenshots from texts with the manager at the store asking me which of these shifts I wanted and, and is, is the reason that you were able to clock me for an attendance issue on this one day mm-hmm. and that the other attendance issue they were talking about was when their store was on strike. Right. So, like, it's complete bullshit that's totally fabricated. The reason that they fired him is because of wearing this. Well, the reason they fired him is he's a pro union worker, but the actual excuse that they use is the suicide awareness pin. And they only made up this attendance thing because they saw how much backlash they were getting for firing someone for wearing a suicide awareness pin. Mm -hmm. Like that's just, I, I don't have the vocabulary to explain how fucked up it is, but, and then well, the fat, this the the worst part. I think just adding on to it is the condescending language that the managers were throwing at him when they confronted him about wearing the pin, where they told him that it quote wasn't becoming of Starbucks end quote. I don't know what that means, and that it was not. <laughs> this one, I just can't understand saying this one with a straight face. That quote, it was not what why we put on the green apron. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> Isn't it about like, is it like they, do they not care about improving people's lives? I mean, obviously, I know the answer to that they don't. They only care about making profit. But colloquially, through their language, they talk a lot about community and supporting people. I mean, that's why they call the workers partners. All of that stuff. But then at the same time, it's like, oh, but we don't care about it when people kill themselves. Yeah, it, like it's this whole th- it's just so gross be- implying that like he's somehow like making Starbucks look bad by wearing a pin that's like hey, if things are rough right now, you know, there are people you can reach out to. That well, that makes the company look bad. And also kind like, of implying that he was just working at Starbucks to get his message out there, his his political message of people should be yeah. aware that there are resources to help prevent suicide and it's like he's some he's some diabolical barista who's like nobody cared who I was till I put on the apron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's fucked. Like Wes like has said repeatedly on Twitter he's like, "Look, I have all the receipts on this." There's already been NLRB rulings on similar, uh, like egregious 
violate like dress code ex- selective enforcement. Mm-hmm. And so he fully intends to fight for his reinstatement. But, you know, unfortunately, as we've seen, that could take months. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then uh, on Friday, a judge ruled that Starbucks illegally fired a worker for being pro-union in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and ordered the company to rehire her and pay back pay for the time that she was fired. Thank goodness the back pay was included in that because Mm -hmm. we feel like very often that has been a neglected either detail in the story to let us know or even just neglected to actually go through with to actually hold the company accountable for the time that they've wasted of these workers and hannah whitbeck uh a worker at the center of the the worker at the center of the case told bloomberg i hope that they will learn their lesson that firing people because they want to start a union is not going to solve their problems and in fact is only going to make it worse and i i hope so i uh i definitely think that they need a lot more of this back wages uh especially i mean like when we talk about the withholding of benefits any of that stuff that needs to be retroactively paid in full i mean and if there's not a way to get the insurance company to retroactively apply the benefits then the workers deserve a huge huge benefit in cash uh (laughs) yeah for sure and then you know uh, while the rate of, of elections may have slowed partially due to their campaign, it hasn't stopped, and it's not stopping workers from winning their unions. So last Monday on the 3rd, workers at the Broadway McCoy store in Santa Maria, California, voted 14-4 to 4 in favor of the union, making them the 17th unionized store in that state. Uh, and then on Friday, October 7th, Workers at the Maple and Telegraph store in Bloomfield Township, Michigan, brought the number of union stores in uh, in that state to 12 when they won their election. So hats off to those workers. And we are very rapidly approaching 250 unionized Starbucks. Hell yeah. Uh, Very excited to be celebrating all of these unions and fighting back against this stupid fucking company. Uh, Don't read any of the fucking sympathetic bullshit about Howard Schultz. Anything that makes him seem like any sort of uh, decent person is a fucking lie. He is a ghoul, and he deserves the guillotine. Anyway, (laughs) speaking of memes, because that was just a joke, uh, here's the meme review. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, First up, we have, is this a tweet? I'm not familiar with this likes and retweets format. (laughs) Uh, That's actually a screen cap from Discord of Discord. Ah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I I love this one just because it's such a very funny image. So you've got a picture of a desk and you've got like a a phone in the background and in front of it, this little, this little like wax plasticky little, little crab that's been, been, put together and this is a, a tweet from at dog lesbian on twitter uh who where it's just captioned boss makes a dollar i make a dime that's why i make baby bell cheese wax crab on company time <laughs> uh, i do always oh after man. i eat a baby bell i always smoosh the wax and kind of roll it into yeah. a ball but i've never made stuff out of it uh maybe i can start my sculpting career in the baby bell cheese wax realm <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> This is actually a really good crab. I noticed that they took a little Sharpie and gave it eyes, too, to just give it a little bit of life. That's that's really good. I, I, I yeah, appreciate it's cute. that. Uh, this next one is actually, it's basically a critique on a meme format, which has been going around. Uh, it's this, uh, there's 
uh, it's generally a, a, a three panel or a four panel, maybe I don't remember, but it's the never ask a woman her age. And it shows a little, uh, a little, what do you call it? Uh, clip, clip art, ver- clip, uh, yeah, clip art a, yeah, a clip art version of a woman. And then there's a clip art version of the man. And the next one, it says a man, his salary. And, uh, and then it just cuts off the thing and says, I'm going to stop you right there, <laughs> which I think this is actually like a, a, a fallout. Yeah. New, I don't remember if it's New Vegas or four, uh, but I, maybe it's four. I think this is four. Uh, I'm going to stop you right there. Uh, it should be normal to ask uh, ask a man his salary, especially if he's a coworker. Sonic <laughs> says companies can underpay you. <laughs> no, actually, I should I should clarify the way that this. So there's there's the the Fallout guy, and then there's another caption underneath that, which is Sonic, and it's just this little like pop up blurb like you would have in a video game where text shows up, and it says Sonic says companies can underpay pay you for your time effort and or expertise discussing salaries can help you accurately judge your market value if there are new hires uh if if new hires are getting paid more than you it's probably time you look at some options (laughs) (laughs) i'm so i mean with how uh how much whiplash this meme format gave me i'm surprised there's not also like robert downey jr under it pointing at himself explaining like sonic (laughs) is just trying to enlighten you about these basic practices that are unusually common in the american labor system (laughs) (laughs) yeah like this like mashup of like three different formats like it i don't know it feels like like i kind of a a new alternative to like the deep frying of memes (laughs) (laughs) where you can have like a meme on a meme on a meme (laughs) But, hey, the point of this one, though, very important, always discuss your salary with your coworkers. And people will, will ask, well, what if my boss says I can't? Then you should especially talk to your coworkers mm-hmm. yeah. about your also, salary. Also, that's illegal. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very illegal and usually a good indication that you are getting screwed over. Yeah. Even more so than every worker already is. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, every worker getting screwed over, <laughs> the next one's a four-panel comic, and we just have this uh, blonde guy in a suit, boss man-looking kind of guy, and he's uh, he's sitting in a in a circle as some kind of group therapy, and he just says, "Everyone's quiet, quitting. Pizza Fridays don't work anymore." nor do ping pong tables and then his tears start pouring from his eyes everyone just wants more money (laughs) and then he starts wiping away the tears with money as these two other ceos (laughs) kind of pat him on the back (laughs) i think half the reason i found this one funny is that somebody had posted a meme earlier this week where they had printed out the star wars meme where he's like trying to do the mind con- like the Jedi mind trick <laughs> yeah. and he's just like episode you don't one. want more money you'll take a pizza party <laughs> and then it's it's Watto from episode 1 is like mind tricks still work on us only money <laughs> <laughs> and they had pasted it in real life over a like notification at their job about a company pizza party <laughs> <laughs> and then great uh, deployment of memes in real life <laughs> Yeah, and then this next one is actually a photo of a card that has been, uh, I guess, photoshopped over. It's like these tool parts, uh, maybe plumbing parts on a on yeah, a I on a table, and it just says, "I understand inflation," and then has a little line going up, kind of thing. It says, "Make things cheaper, or I will steal them." <laughs> and uh, I think that originally it says, "I don't understand inflation. Make things cheaper, or I would steal them." But I think that both of those work because honestly. <laughs> Just do it. Make things cheaper or I will steal them. Or, you know, I mean, even if they do make things cheaper. (laughs) Anyway. 
well, I mean, that look, I I want this card just because there are so like posting anything about inflation on any of our social media brings out the most annoying people in the world mm-hmm. who, who are who are like, inflation is when the government spends money. And they will not listen when you show them any data. So I just want to have this card that's just like, no, fuck you. The prices are going up and the wages aren't going up. So either bring the prices back down or there's going to be a lot more people being like uh, doing the swipe a banana at the self-checkout and then take a couple steaks trick. Yeah, yeah. Keep, you gotta, you better bring those prices down or I'm going to check out a flat screen TV as a, a tomato. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then this last one is just because I've been going with kind of sillier ones at the end that, I, that I've been really enjoying and this is the one of a, a guy in a suit holding up like kind of getting like uh tightening up his tie it's actually the photo of uh what's his name uh who's the uh, Giancarlo Esposito mm-hmm. yeah the guy who plays Gus Fring on on Breaking Bad and um Better Call Saul yeah it's the it's the we are not the same meme and this one it says I am someone you are someone else we are not the same just like <laughs> <laughs> I love this is like uh I just love the memes so deep and dank that they return to normal it just yeah. really it, it, it gets me yeah well it's like the reduction it's like what is the the platonic basis for this format let's draw all detail out of it entirely <laughs> and just put it in here that it's that it's no longer because you know you have the standard that it's like you're in her dms and then it's like i'm in weird russian telegram channels we are not the same yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like that kind of also really like absurd version as well because it it's kind of just goes in the opposite direction of this one which which over which which highly simplifies it. I mean, I've I've also been enjoying the ones where they just misdirect you at the end where they're like you're in her DMs. I'm playing Warhammer 40K, topographical map of Panama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the complete non sequitur. Yeah. yeah, I'm a fan of that sort of inversion of the format. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, and with that, we will wrap this episode. We want to thank all of our people who support us on Patreon. And if you would like to support the show, it is the only way in which we keep this show going. You can go to patreon.com slash workstoppage and give us $5 a month. You'll get access to all of our overtime episodes, including our interview that we just did with Death Panel, which is super, super good. Mm-hmm. Really, really great to get that. And I mean, also, if you're looking for any other links, whether it be social media, you can go to workstoppagepod.com for all of our links and other ways of finding our content. Jump in the Discord. Write us a review literally everywhere, on your walls, sticky note it in every location that you visit for the next 24 hours. Follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at workstoppagepod. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always... Labor peace is not in our interest and solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody. Solidarity.